This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello there, fellow babies. My name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 350, recorded Friday, November 24th, 2017. 350? What the hell's going on, man? I don't know. Time marches on, my friend. How did, how did we get to 350 podcasts? Uh, one crappy sentence at a time. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's something like that, but I have a hard time believing it some, some days that we've been doing this for so long, and now here we are at 350, and really there's no end in sight. No, and thank God for that. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, but man, 350, that is a lot of talking on the internet, Jason. And I think I, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think you should be congratulated for it. Oh, I think you as well, my friend, Christopher. All right. Well, did, did you catch my WKRP, uh, reference? No. Fellow babies. That's what, uh, Dr. Oh. Johnny Fever used to call, uh, the audience. Yeah, that's right. Fellow babies. I, that was, uh, had I thought about it, I might've picked up on it, but, uh. That was like a whole two minutes ago, so... I, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> goldfish memory. It had That's right, it had <laughs> left my brain already, so... Yeah. Well, congratulations know. on 350. Thank you to everyone who's been tuning in to us, whether you are just starting with us today, or you've been there since the beginning, and I know there's a few, uh, but uh, we really, really appreciate everyone coming along with us on this 350 podcast ride, and uh, here's to the next 350. Oh, wow. That'd be cool. <laughs> I know. In another eight years. Oh, my God. Actually, it won't even take that long because, you know, the two a week only started probably in the 200s somewhere. Yeah. No, we doubled up since then. So uh, we're good. Yeah. Well, anyways. Okay. Well, we're here to do our listener feedback for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead. But as we usually do, I'm going to talk about the ratings for a minute for season eight, episode five. As we know, since the premiere that had 11.5 million people, the show's been holding steady around the 8.5 to 8.9, let's say 9 million mark, until episode 5. So you and I really liked episode 5. Yes, we did. Right? And, you know, it's, I considered it a very good episode, so I was hoping that would mean the ratings go up. Good episodes don't necessarily mean the ratings go up, Chris, but that would be the hope. Did they go down? The ratings did go down. Oh. We're under eight. Under eight. Like a, a lot under eight? 7.85. Okay. So a little under eight. Yeah, but it's under eight million. Like, I think that's significant. It is. Do you remember when, when gas was getting more expensive and more expensive? No. You know, when, no. when, when you and I were kids, I can remember gas being 45 cents a liter. I remember, uh, no, I don't recall that at all. I do remember when I worked at a gas station that, uh, the gas prices were 49, nine cents a liter. And I remember that being easy cause I could do all the math in my head. Right. I, yes. But I remember the, the days of 40 something cents per liter gas, right? That, that was in the early nineties, 49 oh, cents. That, really? I'm thinking yeah. probably back in the eighties. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking even cheaper then. Yeah, you would be, because, uh, yeah, I worked at the gas station in November of 90, 
93 to February of 94. So yeah, it would be right around then. It was 49 cents a liter. Wow. Okay. Well, e- either way, it's it was cheap. Uh, I don't know what gas was in the States because they sell it by the gallon right down there. Yeah. We sell it by the liter and it was about 50 cents a liter back then, let's say. Well, now it's like $1.20 per liter, right? And uh, I don't remember where I was going with this, but I re- Oh, I do. <laughs> I do. I do. I remember th- as gas started approaching a dollar a liter, I thought to myself, you know, if it gets to a dollar and it crosses a dollar, that's going to be some sort of like psychological limit. Or like if it crosses a dollar, it's never going to go under a dollar. No matter how cheap oil becomes, the gas companies are going to just say, well, you know, at least it has to be a dollar per liter because people are willing to pay that, obviously. So I'm thinking here, that 8 million mark, and to be honest, maybe it's more closer to 10 million. I feel like it's dropped below that. That's some sort of weird crossing point. And I feel like the show is now below 8 million viewers. And that might be, I don't know, some sort of threshold, either for AMC. Yeah, it might be the new ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. And I, I can want- also talk about uh, the price of cigarettes in the early 90s, too. I remember the prices, they uh, the uh, federal government dropped the taxes on cigarettes. They went from like seven bucks a pack to like three bucks a pack. And I went, shit, cigarettes are, are, are cheaper now. I should start smoking again. And I did. Why would they do that? That I, I don't, don't think that's a crazy. good idea at all. Yeah. Well, it caused me to start smoking. I smoked for 15 years after that. Yeah. that, that That's not good. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so that is a fear, you know, the 8 million being the new ceiling. Let's hope that uh, it breaks through that ceiling and that uh, your fears are completely unfounded. Right. Well, we do have an email that I've put at the end of our our feedback this week that does sort of touch on that a little bit, but we'll we'll get to it at the end. It's more of a general comment, so uh, I don't want to lead with it, but let's start into our listener feedback, Jason, for Season 8, Episode 5, The Big Scary You. Awesome. Listener feedback. Yeah, remember, it was a question when you read it. It was. uh, Earlier this week. (laughs) All right, well, we have a lot of long emails. I think people have really gotten into the habit of writing us long novel length multi-paragraph emails which is great i'm not complaining about it but it does kind of make it more difficult to include bits because sometimes it's all really good stuff but you know if we read them all we'd be here for six hours and uh and that's that's just too much so we need to see our families once in a while so i it it makes it harder to break it down a little bit but i think this week we're going to have a lot of longer than usual emails we'll see how it goes cool and the first one here comes from richard In Bristol, UK, Richard writes, This is the best episode this season by far. Negan was actually intimidating. No, really, goddamn. He had a real aura of threat around him all the time, whether he was uh, around the conference table or in the carriage with Gabe. This is the Negan we've been waiting for. Not an over-the-top comic villain who postures, but sometimes with gravitas and who we can understand. He's here to save people, even if saving them means elevating some over others and denigrating the rest. He's there for the long haul and is willing to sacrifice some for the benefit of the majority, even if that majority is only those who follow him. All through the episode, I never knew if he was going to attack Gabe or not. JDM's acting was great. Every now and again, Negan would look at Gabe and you'd think, "Uh uh-oh, he's going to Lucille him, but he didn't. Great suspense. Yeah, and like, to your point, Chris, uh, and to Richard's point, uh, maybe he's more menacing when he's sitting down. Yeah, it's the sitting down thing, and it's the one-on-one thing. Uh, in the in the meeting, 
you know, he was sitting down and banging the Lucille on the, on the table. I know he stood up at one point to, to make a point, but most of the time he spent sitting down and he was just more frightening and menacing. And then when he was in the trailer with Gabe, he was one-on-one and that is when JDM shines as Negan for some reason, at least for me. And so this was a really good, solid Negan episode, probably the first good, solid Negan episode that, that in, we've had, in my opinion. So I'm, I agree with Richard entirely on this one. Yeah, I agree with you, and I agree with Richard, and I agree with everybody. <laughs> you're just generally an, speaking. An agreeable kind of guy. Yeah, if you're emailing in, uh, there's a good chance I'm going to agree with you. Well, why not? When, when, when you meet someone on the street and they say, hey, Jason, you want to come down this back alley and uh, get involved in some trouble? You say, yeah, sure. That's what I like of to do. Of course I do. Yeah. D- does it involve rubber pants? <laughs> because if it does, I'm, I'm in even more. I'm in. I am in. All right. So moving on, we have a call from uh, Rodolfo. So the last episode, I think you guys missing something. Um, when Negan and Gabriel, they like start killing the the walkers. They never show when they're in a safe place, so it's missing a part over there. They just show when they are inside of the the compound. So, what do you guys think about that? Maybe he got beaten. Right. So I I think I did address this briefly when we did our recap on Monday, but I think after that we kind of glossed over it. What happened was they fight their way through the zombies, they get to near uh, like a little staircase I think going up to a door in the side of the sanctuary building and then it appears like the zombies kind of fall down the stairs on top of them we go to a commercial and when we come back we're inside the sanctuary and then you know with with Simon and everybody and then Negan and Gabe show up so there is that missing bit there yeah, which you could argue is not important. I guess you just figure they made it inside safely and there, there they are. But I must admit, when you tease us with zombies falling down on top of them, it looks like, and then yeah. don't show how they get out of that predicament, it's a slightly frustrating thing for me. It is. It's like uh, telling a story when you're just like, yeah, we had a really nice dinner. We went back to her place, yada, yada, yada. I woke up and went home. <laughs> like, it's just the yada, yada, yada right over the most important bit. It, they kind of did actually like fighting their way through was important and I thought it looked good and a little bit crazy considering he's Lucilling the zombies and, and Gabe is actually shooting at them. Um, but okay, fine. They did that. They went through and then they get to the most important bit and they yada, yada, yada it. Yeah. They, they totally glossed over it. Like, why would they do that though? I mean, why not have, it was it a time thing. Did they run out of time? Did they not, do you think they, well, didn't shoot that scene? I mean... Two reasons they did that. One is to ramp up the tension. Oh my God, what happened? Right? So we, you know, they cut away. It's like, oh my God, I don't know what happened. And then we, we don't come back to it. So we're, you know, in the back of our minds, we're trying to, uh, we're thinking, you know, are they okay? Did they get bitten? Are are they, you know, are they dead? And the second reason is uh, Days Ex Machina. So we just, Days Ex they came in out of nowhere to save the day because the tension of the, uh, uh, of the saviors was being ramped up and then Negan shows up and calms everything down. Right. So they just, they came, it, it was, uh, it was a, uh, you know, a savior moment. So basically coming in to save the day right. out of nowhere. So you're saying the next scene was more important for the story or for what they were doing than, than uh, Negan and Gabe outside 
getting safely in. Well, I want to make a distinction here. Uh, I think that it was more important to the writers than the story myself. Because I think, mm. personally, I think it might have been a mistake to do it that way because they've done that way too many times in both ends of that. One is, oh, they're in a situation that they can't get out of. Obviously, they've died. Right. We've seen that a few times. Yeah. And something coming out of nowhere to absolutely save the day with no rhyme or reason of how they got there or how they managed to, you know, save themselves. Yeah. You so know, I, I think it's been, it's kind of tropey within the walking dead that they've done that on both ends a number of times. And I was kind of, you know, now that it's been highlighted, I think I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. And I have no trouble with the commercial break. Like give us a little mini cliffhanger over a commercial break. That's completely fine with me. Um, and now that I think about it, you know, the next scene where Simon comes out in the hall and, and all the workers are revolting, remember? Remember there's the there's the shooting scene where someone pulls a gun and then Regina shoots at the person. I yeah. feel like I could have done without that and instead seen how Negan and Gabe get safely inside the building if they have to somehow get up those stairs and tumble through the door and then shut it before any zombies turn around and follow them in. I yeah. feel like that would have been a little more exciting and than the kind of craziness of shooting someone in a rioting crowd. I mean, I guess they weren't really rioting, but they were upset. They were about to. They were about to. And and as you said, firing a gun there would have caused a riot, not stopped it. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that seems like maybe a scene that could have gone away and then maybe they would have had time to add the Negan bit getting into the building. So, yeah. Who knows? Maybe that maybe they tried to film it and it didn't really work. And so they had to go a different direction. Yeah. Adding a firearm to a tense situation does not calm it down. Just in general, firing one definitely would not. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's just going to cause mass hysteria. Yeah. And, you know, firearms escalate things. They don't de-escalate situations. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, who knows? It's too bad we didn't get to see that, but uh, I guess uh, maybe that'll be on the director's cut. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's get to the next email here. It's Paul in the UK. Paul says, uh, I'm just thinking that the explanation for the helicopter is quite simple. In the meeting that we see at the beginning, Simon makes reference to sending a flyer. And I think it could just be a colloquialism for helicopter. Oh. So it's when it's when Simon is talking about, you know, sending sending a flyer, he says, over to the hilltop and just killing everybody there when, you know, right before Negan gets upset and says he, people are a resource. Like the term flyer doesn't really, isn't really a thing that I know of. I mean, maybe no, it, it is. Isn't. Like, but you don't say I'm going to send a flyer out unless you actually mean a pamphlet that goes door to door and you leave in people's mailboxes. Which Simon could do, and I'm sure it would be very effective. Maybe, maybe. If he did. Well, I mean, if it was written by him, people would have yes, to absolutely. listen, right? Yeah, I would, I would, you know, if I got a flyer from Simon, I'd pay attention to it. Yeah. I'd do whatever it told me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but, but maybe he's kind of a weirdo and he calls any vehicles that fly through the air flyers. So could it be? You'd call it a chopper. You'd call it a, uh, I don't know what they would call an A-10 Warthog. If they have an A-10 Warthog, they'd use that. Sure. But that's not even a helicopter. <laughs> no, it's not. But it could be a flyer. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. A flyer. Uh, yeah. A Huey? What would you, yeah, you wouldn't call a, a helicopter a flyer, I don't think. But this is what I'm saying. Like, maybe Simon is just weird, and where he's from, he calls them flyers. 
And and so the simplest explanation is Simon is weird and the helicopter belongs to the saviors. And so it's a savior helicopter, not a scavenger helicopter. Oh, that's how they spy on things. Could be. That's how they know everything because they have this flyer that can fly super high into in the air so that it can't be seen or heard. And then they use telescopes to watch things. <laughs> yeah. But crafty. They're, but they're called lookers. Yeah, let's, tell, you know, flyers and lookers. Let's put a looker in a telus in a let's put a looker in a flyer and see if we can spot anything. You know, to be fair, this show is full of zombies, but nobody calls them zombies, right? That's the obvious word for that thing. Oh my god, that's a zombie. Yeah, right? that's just the obvious thing. But in this world, they call them other stuff. So maybe helicopter is called a flyer in this world because <laughs> they don't know the real name of it. It could be the word zombie does not exist in the universe of The Walking Dead, except that it's been in the comics a couple of times. But yeah. let's say TV show world, that the word zombie's never been used. And I'm not going to say they've never used the word helicopter. They probably have. But if they, they haven't... Fear the Walking Dead. Well, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's a Georgia thing. <laughs> we call them flyers. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Okay, well, they're near Washington, D.C. Well, they are now, but most of them are from. Nobody's from there, so. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Helicopters are flyers, and pamphlets are helicopters. Let's assume that's the yeah. case. News, newsies. Newsies. <laughs> they're newsies. <laughs> they're newsies that they send out. It's weird. Uh, all right, next we have an email from Bill in New Jersey. Here's one of our long ones. Here we go. Are yeah, you ready? Yeah, let's see if we can get through it. All right. I write this. Uh, comment because uh, in Monday's podcast, your discussion on Negan's use of the term backsliding may have lacked some cultural context associated with the term. And I think this context may be a clue to Simon's backstory. Backsliding or to backslide has, re has a religious connotation. It's a common term used in American evangelical Protestant churches. Per capita, evangelical Protestants are the most common Christians in the American South, so it makes sense that this term being used in Virginia would be understood by most who grew up there. Backsliding refers to one who has lived a non-Christian life, as in living in sin, then rep uh, repents the sin, accepts Jesus, lives in accord with uh, Christian behavior, and then starts to go back on their old ways of sin, whatever that may be. Translated into the Walking Dead parlance, someone who is not a savior, living in a non-saviory sort of life, then accepts Negan as their personal lord and savior, rejects their old lifestyle and says, I am Negan, but then starts to drift back to their old ways. So, when Simon asked Negan, are we backsliding? It is most certainly not inquiring as to the overall state of the saviors. Instead, he is directly questioning Simon. Is Simon Negan or not? Most interestingly... This might provide us with a clue into Simon's backstory. Exactly what is being accused of, uh, what is he being accused of backsliding into? Is Simon a badass from another community who got captured like Daryl, then decided to become Negan? Maybe Simon is what Daryl could have been if he joined the Saviors. Or, even more interesting, perhaps Simon led the sanctuary before Negan took over. Right. So thank you, Bill, for that. Bill sent an even longer email with some more information and examples. But the whole idea no. of backsliding is, I didn't realize it had a religious context or connotation. And I went and yeah. looked it up and it, it actually is a very uh, closely associated with people who reform their ways, live a religious or, you know, uh, lifestyle along those lines, but then start to go back to their old ways, backsliding. Right. 
So that is interesting. I would never have picked up on that. And I don't know whether that's because we live way up here in the great white North or whether we, you and I, uh, especially me or especially you are not particularly, uh, religious and therefore <laughs> probably won't backslide in quotes yeah. back into our old, uh, sinful ways because we're still living them. Uh, yeah, that's right. I haven't. <laughs> forward slid yet i guess <laughs> yeah uh so yeah bill that was incredibly eloquent by the way that was <laughs> that was really well put and uh, made perfect sense it was it was and and of course he tied it into the show obviously so you know simon it may not be it may not have any religious reference at all when it, when negan is referring to simon it's simply that he was one thing became Negan and now is possibly kind of going back to the old ways. And that might be that Negan, despite what we think about the guy, doesn't actually want to kill everyone. He wants to only kill the right people. Whereas Simon's suggestion was, let's just kill them all. And like that yeah. solves our problem right there, which is Simon backsliding into his old ways. So I think that makes a lot of sense. That does. And then it, uh, like, like Bill says, that uh, points us into an interesting couple of options for uh, where, you know, Simon's backstory. What If he's backsliding into let's kill them all, uh, then, uh, you know, basically was he the leader of another group or perhaps even the leader of the, uh, 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 led the sanctuary before Negan took over? Yeah, it is pretty interesting. And the next couple of emails are, are on the same topic. So Nikki in Newcastle, England wrote in and said, just wanted to email in to touch on something I thought you two would have been all over, but never mentioned in your recent podcast. In the episode, Negan mentioned that the person who used to be in charge being crap at it. This made me think Simon was the old boss who Negan replaced. So it's kind of the same conclusion from a slightly different uh, bit of information in that he's talking to Simon and Negan makes reference to the previous leader not being very good. And yep. he could have been talking about Simon to his face at that moment and essentially saying that's what you're backsliding into. Right. So that could have been both uh, a concern and a wicked burn. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> massive wicked burn right on, right on him there. So. Yeah. And we, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll, uh, we'll be able to uh, look back at that retrospective wicked burn if, uh, if Simon was the previous leader. Yeah. And you know what, Jason? I am not totally against the idea of this backslide trend continuing and Simon becoming the next leader of the sanctuary. Well, he should be. Right. If and then everybody would just simply follow him because he's Simon and you always do what Simon says. You do what Simon says. Yeah. If you do, if you, if Simon doesn't say it, you're out. Yeah. No, right? if you do something that Simon doesn't say or not <laughs> Simon says, then you're out. But if Simon says it, you're good to go. That's right. Uh, and then, so read the next one here, Jason, because it's along the same lines too. All right. We have an email from Dan in York, UK. Like you, I found Negan's accusation, accusing Simon of backsliding when he suggested killing all the hilltop people uh, to be a little out of nowhere. But while listening to your show, I think I have figured it out. I think Simon was the one who ordered all of the men in Oceanside to be killed. You guys commented at the time that it seemed a bit excessive compared to Negan's usual M.O., so it makes sense that it must have been someone else and that Negan would have been pissed off at the time. Right. So this is an, even another kind of interpretation of the same scene where 
Uh, Negan doesn't want to kill everyone. Simon's backsliding into his old murderous ways. And maybe the Oceanside confrontation with all the men there was more of a Simon idea or possibly when Simon was the leader. And that's what he did. Negan comes along and uh, is like, I can't believe you killed all the men there. Like, why would you do such a thing? They could have helped us. And if, you know, he may mean help by gathering supplies that they could take 50% of, but that's a matter of uh, perspective. You know, he can sees that as what they do. So I think that's another really interesting theory on the whole topic. Yeah, I also, I agree. I think that's very, very interesting. Uh, you know, and Negan comes along and says, look, we don't have to kill everybody. We just got to kill one, maybe two. We got to pick a couple of eeny, meeny, miny, moes and, uh, you know, bash them on and about the head, make their eyeballs pop out and they'll all just fall in line. They will. There's no need to kill everyone. I mean, if you kill everyone, you're going to have no friends left. So. Yeah. Right. Let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> Don't kill all your friends because then you won't have any friends. No. And you'll be sad. You'll be all alone <laughs> yes. and you won't know Hopefully what to Hopefully living in a cell. <laughs> Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> For the rest of your life. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone who wrote in about, about that. I think there's a lot of good interpretations of the backsliding conversation between Negan and Simon. And I think it did a lot for both characters, to be honest. You know, Negan was much more uh, of a well-rounded character in this episode. And Simon had his moments too. And I I think that that I, I want to see both of those characters be um, expanded on as, as the show goes on and, and see where it goes. Yeah. Okay, uh, next group of emails are more about the Rick and the Daryl fight, which everyone knows I really loved. <laughs> Sarcastically uh, loved. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, a number of people sent in kind of the same thoughts or similar thoughts on it. So I tried to take a bit from different people's emails a little bit here and there uh, to include as many different people as I could. So the first one is Jennifer in Minneapolis. And Jennifer writes, as far as the fight being trivial, absolutely not. Daryl is losing his humanity, his shit, his mind, and his conscience. Rick has begun to see that after the murder of Morales and the unnamed kid. He was using his, the workers could rise up against, uh, sorry, his workers could rise up argument because he knows that's what's going to appeal to Daryl right now. He is genuinely concerned about the loss of innocent lives. He knows Daryl isn't right right now but he needs him to stick to the plan and keep fighting also it isn't new to have these two bungle an operation remember the truck full of supplies that drove into a lake yeah right you get these two guys together and shit kind of goes comically off the rails sometimes They're like uh, uh a buddy cop movie they are a little bit you know they, they're busy chasing Jesus around a field and their truck full of supplies goes into the lake. Yeah. Uh, and now they spend all day invading outposts, murdering numerous counts of saviors and getting involved in a car chase, driving off the road, shooting guys with giant penis guns and mm -hmm. then blowing up the truck that they were trying to capture the whole time. So these two shouldn't be left alone to gather supplies and or equipment because they fuck it up every time. Yeah. On their own, they each are rather successful, but put them together and it's like there's too much awesome in the room and it just overpowers everything and they, they end up screwing it all up. Right. So they're good at killing zombies, killing people, uh, probably killing wild animals. 
Uh, we know Daryl um, by himself is a menace to squirrel society. He is. Uh, so that's all fine and good. But when you when they are trying to actually get a truckload of something by themselves, they need uh, they need somebody there to help them out. They need Tara along to uh, uh, to help out. Or no, not even Jesus, because Jesus was uh, was there with the truck and it still went into the lake. So he's no help at all. No, maybe maybe Morgan. <laughs> well, they I need someone to rein them in a little bit. They need someone to keep them focused on what they're trying to do rather than their, I don't know, their personalities butting a little bit and getting yeah. into fistfights. That's Carol. Carol would do it. Carol would do it. She's going to keep everything on track. Yeah. She, no, and she's, uh, she's worked with both these guys, uh, to keep them, keep, keep their shit together. So I, I think she's definitely, uh, she's definitely the, uh, uh, the person to help out. So, you know, the three of them should be the, uh, the A team going on, uh, on missions. Yeah. Together. I think I agree with that. Do you remember when Carol and Daryl had a little romantic thing starting? Yeah. I was sad to see that go away. She called him Pookie once. Yeah. I, I am too. I'd like to see them get back together. It would give Daryl something more interesting to do <laughs> than yeah. what he's been doing lately. So maybe, maybe <laughs> they'll bring that back. I don't know. I would maybe. like to see that. In the back of my head, I'm building the A team out of these three. And I think the fourth person, uh, would end up being uh, Eugene, unfortunately. We need Eugene back in the fold because he's the brains, right? We need somebody with the brains. We have, uh, yeah, we have Braun. We need, yeah, we need, uh, we need Eugene to get in. That team would be unstoppable. Well, they'd build stuff and they do stuff. And then Rick would say, I'd love it when a plan comes together <laughs> and it'd be awesome. In the absence of Eugene though, is there somebody else who's currently still on Alexandria's side that, could be the brains. Uh, maybe Daryl, not Daryl. Uh, no, Morgan. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Maybe uh, Jesus. Maybe not. I don't know. He's a smart guy. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know the A team as well as you do. I never really, uh, yeah, never I, really watched you know, it. I just, I've seen the movie and I've seen a smattering of, uh, of the television episodes, but I think all the television episodes are relatively the same. Uh, so yes. I think I'm good. Okay. You've seen one, you've seen them all. Exactly. All right. Next, we have an email from Chris in the UK. I buy that Daryl throws the first punch, and that's crucial. I would not believe this fight if Rick had started it, but once Daryl punches Rick, I buy what follows. We know that if you punch Rick, he loses all sense of perspective and he gets uh, the red mist. We saw that all the way back in season four with Tyrese, and we saw it in season five with Pete, and I'm sure we've seen it since. I buy Rick's participation in the fight because we know that if you attack him, he loses it. This is a funny thing because I've never really thought about Rick like this, but it's a little bit of the don't call me chicken Marty McFly character flaw. You know, Marty can, Marty McFly can, can get shit done, but as soon as you call him chicken, all bets are off and his logic and reason goes out the window and he does something stupid. Right? Not anymore though, right? Uh, like that kind of resolves itself at the end of the, uh, at the end of the series to be fair that's true that but that's the evolution of marty mcfly as a character right he's he's this yeah. kid who is uh hanging out with this weird old scientist and for some if, reason for some reason and if you if you taunt him a little bit he'll do something dumb and yeah. and that's almost the entire story right that's what his his kid gets up to in back to the future too and the whole reason they go to the future to prevent marty mcfly jr from uh, getting involved in something he shouldn't. 
Yeah. And to be fair, he also tries really hard not to sleep with his mom. Well, he tries hard and succeeds, thankfully. Yeah. No, you know, it's important to try hard to not do that. Yeah. For most people, it's not that hard to not do it. But, you know. (laughs) That's right. Unique situation in the movie. Anyhow. So, yeah. So we got a a major character flaw. You punch him in the face and he goes, uh, he goes red. Uh, We got red Rick. And uh, he goes absolutely apeshit crazy. Right. And and everything goes out the window. And so, I mean, Chris makes a good point here. He Chris started his email actually with um, initially kind of agreeing with me that the whole thing was stupid. But then he came up, up with this idea here that Daryl started the fight and Rick was really just, number one, getting back, getting into it. But that's kind of what Rick does. It's his, one of Rick's main character flaws that you punch him in the face and he's going to punch back. Right. So uh, just to be clear, was your problem with the fight that it existed at all? Or was your problem with the fight uh, that you don't think it would have happened? Well, both, to be honest. I don't think it would have happened. Although I'm slightly come around now based on Chris's argument, right? Had it been the other way around, it would have made even less sense. So I, I can see what he's saying. But I wish it had didn't exist at all, frankly. I wish that scene was just not in the episode. Right. And I still feel that way. So Daryl knows how to punch Rick's buttons, essentially. <laughs> That's exactly what he, he, <laughs> he did. He punched his button and Rick responded appropriately for him. That was, that was an accident, by the way. I meant to say push, <laughs> but I said punch and I went, hey, that makes sense. That works. Yeah, totally works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is it my turn? It is, my friend. Jennifer from Orange, California writes uh, on the same topic. I didn't mind the fight between Rick and Daryl and even kind of liked it. But when it comes to your argument about how they worked so hard to get the 50 cal gun, I disagree. While I think it could certainly be useful for them, I think the point of getting it was to keep the saviors from getting it to the sanctuary where they would be able to clear out the walkers. Our heroes need to keep them pinned in. So yes, they blew up the truck and lost the weapon, which seemed like was the whole point of the mission. But the fact that they were getting the weapon wasn't to have it to use against the saviors. saviors. It was mostly just to keep it away from the saviors so they would continue to be stuck inside the sanctuary. So the fact that they lost it doesn't really matter. Right. They don't have it, but the point is the saviors don't have it. So So it's not not as important that we win. It's more important that others fail. Yeah, it's, it's, we don't have to win. We just have to not lose. Right. And destroying the weapon is a bummer, but it doesn't mean that they didn't achieve their goal because their goal was to keep that gun away from the saviors. And that also makes some sense to me. And I do feel a little bit better about losing the gun. Uh, Still don't like the fight, but I'm okay with the fact that they didn't fail their mission. Not necessarily. I mean, they did. Okay. So they didn't fail the mission, but they didn't achieve the... uh, the secondary objective. Right. They did. That's right. They didn't get the bonus points, but they didn't, but they still passed the level and they can move on to the next mission. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Next we have an email from Aaron in Detroit, Michigan. On tonight's episode, when Rick and Daryl got into the fight, uh, Rick told Daryl that the chokehold is illegal. This was the same statement Daryl made when he was put into a chokehold after getting the news that his brother Merle had been left handcuffed to the roof. I was so excited when I saw it coming that I yelled at the TV saying the chokehold chokehold was illegal before Rick said it. 
Great callback. Great show. I listen all the time. Please keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Aaron. So yeah, that was a callback, which I did not pick up on when I was watching it because that's all the way back to season one. And I mean, that's another season one reference they've made recently. Uh, but but I like that. I think that's kind of fun. And it's a bonus for the people that do get it. And just something that is kind of weird and quirky for those who don't remember the callback. Yeah. Uh, but it like us. Yeah, like us. <laughs> but That's then good. again, we should have remembered. But, you know, it's hard. It's hard to remember everything that happened way back then. But well, I like yeah, it. If I did what I what I do with uh, Game of Thrones, uh, I probably would have remembered. You would have known, Because yeah. I would have watched season one seven times now. Uh, yes. And so it would be imprinted on your brain. Yeah. Like the, I don't know, layout of your house. You could walk yeah, around your house be, in the dark. I, I would have seen it so many times that Jasper would remember it. <laughs> it would have just transferred to him. That's from, right. From father to son. Yes. Genetic memory. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. Cool callback. Thomas on the internet writes, hate to bring the bad news, but they are setting up killing off Daryl Dixon. The last couple of episodes are playing him hard, heartless, and reckless in his pursuit of revenge against the saviors. They are making him less likable and more of a liability. I think Redis is starting to smell Hollywood leading man money. We shall see. He's always been kind of Hollywood leading man though, hasn't he? No, I don't think Norman Redis has been a leading man. He's He came into the spotlight big time with The Walking Dead. I know people love him from Boondock, right? Yeah. Boondock Saints. But that was a bit of a cult following, I think. Walking Dead is seen by a lot of people, and that's when he really hit the big time, I think. Okay. Well, this, yeah. Okay, so I, I have a problem. My problem is that uh, it basically boils down to, if I know who you are, I consider you famous, right? Well, sure. <laughs> that I don't consider the rest of pop culture, the rest of the world as uh, any indicator. Basically, you're famous if, I heard of, if I've heard of you. If I haven't heard of you, you're not. So I knew who uh, Norman Reedus was prior to this show. I knew who uh, Andrew Lincoln was prior to this show. So I consider them famous. And there's, I don't have any degrees of fame. I just like, you are famous and that's it. Like, it's just, it's an right. absolute. I don't know who you are. I do know who, know who you are. It's very black and white. Well, I think there are degrees to fame and Norman Reedus is nowhere near Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, wow, anything yeah. like that. I realize those guys are in a Tom category. Tom Hanks can juggle. I, well, <laughs> to be fair. Well, that makes him double famous. I, and I realize those guys are in a class of their own, right? But if you go a step down from that, like who would be a who who would be in a realm of fame that's not like the Tom Hanks, Will Smith zone? Peter Sellers? How about somebody who's alive? Uh I mean, I'm thinking like um the Hemsworth guy, Chris Hemsworth. He's oh, yeah. not I don't think he's he's famous, he's famous. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Most of the actors say in in uh I mean they're pretty famous too. I mean that's that's up there. Yeah. Um the I don't know, but you you know what I mean, right? Like there's like there's those really super Tom like, Sizemore? Tom Sizemore, why not? Uh, Richard Jenkins. No, he might be too low. I don't know, but... <laughs> Billy Zane? Billy Zane, I don't know. <laughs> One of the Wilson brothers that's not Luke. No, not Owen. 
Which is the more famous one, Owen or Luke? I don't know. <laughs> They're both famous. It's a, I don't have a sliding scale. All right. Well, I know who they are. They're famous. Anyways, you know, you get what I'm trying to say. There's like, yes. there's like pinnacle and then there's one, then there's a huge group of actors like below that. And then there's kind of like the, the, that guy actors that you don't even know their names. Right. Um, Norman Reedus might be for me at, in general, when you go outside of Walking Dead fans, he might be a, hey, it's that guy. To right. most people. So I don't think, this is all to say, I don't think he is anywhere near leading man, but The Walking Dead has pushed him to that. Okay, here's the best example. Friggin' Shane, John Bernthal. He yep. joined Walking Dead. He was kind of a nobody. Let's be honest. Now well, yeah, he was, you know, he did that one episode of uh, How He Met Your Mother and like a couple other things. He was How I Met Your Mother? Carlos. Oh, you're yeah. right. He was Carlos. Yeah, and a couple Carlos other Carlos invited me. Who's Carlos? Yeah. Yeah. So there's him and he did Walking Dead and now he's, he's really hot right now. And even he's not quite like leading man, you know, in Hollywood, but he's getting yeah. there and I think he will be. So you think he'll get to leading man? Well, he's the Punisher. He's leading man in that. If well, yeah, but I don't I know. I haven't if, seen that. I don't so. know if he's ever going to be like, you know, romantic lead man. I just don't see him as that kind of actor, but I think he could. I've be. I was watching a movie the other day and uh, I didn't recognize him until I scoped those earlobes and I'm like, holy shit, that's John Bernthal. And then he spoke and I'm like, yeah, that's him. Yeah. Well, I think John Bernthal is getting there. I think he is reaching that lower level of almost leading man territory. Right. Anyhow, I think Norman Reedus is there too. And he's been on the show a lot longer, so he might be thinking, it's my time to go. And if Thomas on the internet has anything to say about it, this could be the case, right? Okay, so let me ask you this. This is a bit off topic, so, uh, but not that we haven't been off topic quite a bit in this particular <laughs> discussion. But uh, typically when you go from uh, TV to movies, you have a transition movie, right? So you go from TV, the transition movie is basically you play the same character in a movie and then from then on, you can play different characters in movies. Do you think Norman Reedus will do a transition movie where it basically, in order to get into that uh, into that movie spotlight, he'll do a, a movie where he's basically playing Daryl Dixon? He could. Or is he beyond that? Like he's been in a number of movies, so is he beyond that or will he have to do the transition? Well, I think he could do the transition. I, I don't know what that movie is going to look like, but... He could. He's done a couple of, he's done a bit of, a couple of weird appearances. Like he was the trucker in the new Vacation movie. Remember the remake of Vacation? I remember it existed. I purposefully didn't see it. Oh, really? It had a few yeah, well, funny- no, on very, very big purpose. I have no, no way. All right. No well, way. He, there was a few funny bits in that. And anyways, he was in it in almost a cameo role as a trucker. Sorry if that's a spoiler for everyone. Uh, but he was in Air- which is that uh, near future movie where there's no breathable air left yeah, and yeah. you guys are stuck underground or something like that. And he is in something called Triple Nine, a gang of criminals and corrupt cops plan the murder of a police officer in order to pull off their biggest heists yet. I don't oh, know I've if I've seen he... that. That's actually a pretty good movie. Really? Yeah. I don't. He's... Yeah, he's in it. He's in it's, you know, it's not a big part, but no. he's in it. He's fairly low build. So what he needs, what you're saying is a leading role where he essentially is playing Daryl Dixon. That's correct. So people see it and they're like, oh, it's the guy from Walking Dead. He's good at that. And then yeah. he'll, that'll be his stepping stone to other things. Oh, he does movies now? 
That's great. Right. And then, uh, and then we move on to other stuff. I mean, uh, everybody's done it. Bruce Willis did it when he went, moved on from uh, Moonlighting. You know, he was in Moonlighting at first and then he moved into movies uh-huh. and then he became, you know, Bruce Willis, the star <laughs> right. kind of thing. Uh, you know, everybody does it. Okay. You have well, that transition movie. Maybe Daryl Dixon is up for it soon. I don't know. I think he might be. If he gets killed. I mean, he's under contract. He's, you know, he can't do it yet. Yeah. You just got to wait to die. Right. And, and it could be looking like they're leading up to that, you know, as Thomas says, uh, they're playing him hard, heartless, reckless in pursuit of revenge, and they're making him less likable and more of a liability. And I think that's kind of a key point. They're making him a liability to the team, which means he might have to go on some sort of, you know, redemption mission. And that's when it's going to happen. Ah, yeah. So he'll die as soon as, as soon as he is redeemed. Uh, yes. Yeah. Cause you know, there's a bit of a formula there. There is a bit of a formula. All right. All right. Uh, so on the same topic, Dan in, uh, York UK writes, can Daryl die soon, please now, now, please. <laughs> uh, he was fun and exciting in the first three seasons, but since Gimple took over, the only time I felt engaged or interested in him was that one episode where he and Carol were in Atlanta together. Other than that, he's been incredibly bland and has had nothing interesting to do. Maybe it's because Gimple has been sticking closer to the comics and doesn't know what to do with a character who wasn't in them. Uh, But he's done a grand job with Tara and Carol and Tyrese, who are effectively new characters. Anyway, someone uh, important needs to die unexpectedly to make it seem uh, like the regulars aren't safe. And I am sick of Daryl being all surly and murderous. But he won't. Uh, but he won't die. Gimple remembers all the T-shirts threatening to riot, but uh, doesn't realize he hasn't seen them one in about four years. Uh, here's a list of characters who are more fun or interesting than Daryl, but who will definitely die before he does. Morgan, Carol, Tara, Eugene, Tobin, Gregory, Dwight, Simon, Ezekiel, Jerry, and even bloody Gavin for crying out loud. <laughs> so I think that's a funny list. Yeah. Um, I certainly hope that all those people don't die before Daryl. Not that I'm really hoping for anybody to die, but that seems like an awfully long list. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's concerning because the list is so long. It's so long and it includes Tobin. <laughs> right. And bloody Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I don't know. I do kind of agree with Dan that Daryl hasn't had much to do in, in number of, a number of seasons now, even last year. Was it last year when, he went off on his own for an episode and, and when we first encountered Dwight and Sherry in the yeah. burned out forest, remember? That's two seasons ago. Two seasons ago? Well. I think so. Like that was the last thing I can remember that really Daryl was where they sort of gave him his own thing. And even that wasn't that great, I didn't think, you know? So um, I'm, I, there was a time where I thought Daryl Dixon was 100% safe and I would have been upset if they'd killed him off, but it is no longer that time. So if it happens, it happens and we'll just have to see how it goes. The idea of Gimple not knowing what to do with a character who's not in the comics though is an interesting thought because I've said it before. I think Gimple really likes to stay close to the comic source material and that's tough to do when you have Daryl hanging around. Yeah. And you got to bring back Andrea. Well, as far as I know, up to episode 100. Yes. Issue 100. <laughs> issue. Yeah. That's the last one you read. Um, we're almost, we're approaching 200 now, man. <laughs> oh God. I might oh. have to read another 20 or so. One, 175 or something. 174, 75 we're at. Anyways. 
And just for the record, Simon can't die because the uh, the person that we see as Simon is only an aspect of the real Simon who is immortal. So if you kill this Simon, uh, he'll just generate another avatar uh, Simon that will go and do the Simon things that Simon does. Yeah, well, uh, towards the end of the emails here, we have another, uh, some a little more information about that, which we'll get to. All right, good. Rick on the internet writes, the entire season and part of last season has reminded me of the apo- the, um, <laughs> the movie Apocalypse Now. I think I almost yep, said Apuvi. Apuvi? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Apuvi Now? Yeah. Apocalypse Now. Rick writes, in Apocalypse Now, Colonel Kurtz, the quote unquote bad guy, would be the same as Negan. Kurtz is in the U.S. military, but goes a little crazy and finds himself amongst some natives who he corralled and basically has worship him, just like Negan has done. Acting like a demigod, people bow to both Kurtz and Negan. Kurtz also believes you can kill one person and see a drop in violence amongst the people or the end of a war. Again, just like Negan, who literally said that. Kill one or two opposing leaders publicly and their people will fall into line. In the movie, the main character, played by Martin Sheen, is far away from his home, has also basically lost his mind, and is tasked with finding Kurtz and killing him. In The Walking Dead, this would be Rick making his way towards Negan, riding the edge of, san- riding the edge of insanity and eventually landing on Negan's doorstep. Lots of people lost along the way. In the movie, just like in The Walking Dead, you're not really sure who's the real bad guy or good guy anymore. So I haven't seen uh, Apocalypse Now in a while, but I do. In a while. Yeah, I do know the story, and I think it's an interesting comparison. And I wonder if the Walking Dead writers have any sort of concept that they are seem to be a little bit influenced, or if it's just a coincidence. Uh, it's probably a coincidence. But it's one of those. Co- it's I, I like to think of it as an informed coincidence, right? They may not really realize they're doing it but they've probably all seen apocalypse now all think it's great yeah Yeah, exactly and they're they're film people right so you are influenced by greatness whether you want to be or not and in this case it it's true as well it's such a good movie apocalypse well not the the redux version is kind of hard to watch because it's so freaking long and they've added so much stuff that just screws with the pacing of the movie yeah but uh, yeah, it's such a good movie. And I prefer to think of uh, Martin Sheen uh, as uh, Ramon Estevez, because that's his real name. Yeah, well, that's right. So he's, think- he's actually said he regretted uh, taking on Martin Sheen as a, a stage name. Oh, yeah? He, he, he wish he would have kept his, uh, uh, his original name. Interesting. Like Emilio Estevez, he kept his name and he did fine. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Ramon Estevez, that's his name. Very good. Well, I'll uh, I'll make sure I call him that next time I meet him. You should. Well, okay. that's his name. You should call him that. Yeah. You don't. You know, it's not a stage name. But no. Anyway, next we have a call from uh, Reese. Correct. Is that how you pronounce that? It is. It is. Okay. Thanks. Hi guys, it's Reese from the UK. Just ringing up to say uh, that I love the podcast. You guys are awesome. Um, I actually found the podcast at the beginning of last season, uh, and I liked it so much. 
that between these two seasons, I not only rewatched the whole of The Walking Dead up to this current season, um, I also listened to the whole of the podcast from episode one all the way through. Really cool to see how you guys got so excited about it coming out all the way through to this sort of point. Uh, recommend anyone else goes does the same thing if they're a new listener. Uh, it's a lot of hours, but it's worth it. Um, other than that, guys, I just wanted to say also about this episode of Big Scary You, Negan, holy crap, he was actually scary for once again and intimidating. But yeah, like you said, he's got to be sat down to be doing that. Uh, <laughs> that the gangster lean he's got going on is just, uh, you know, I'm not really feeling that. But other than that, he's done a great job in this episode and it's cool to see that. Looking forward to seeing what else comes up. Thank you guys for doing what you do, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I liked everything about that. That uh, <laughs> me too. Call. And holy shit, he went back and listened to the whole thing. He did, and all the podcasts, and all the way from when we were excited about the show to our current jaded selves. Oh, I know. I didn't take that away from it, but I hope that's not what he was saying. <laughs> but I guess there is probably a little bit of that in there. Uh, but but yes, thank you, Reese, for that. And I played that partly because it's number 350 and he went back and listened to everything. And it's funny, I hear from people fairly frequently about them doing that. So it's just absolutely incredible. I am totally humbled by the fact that anybody listens at all and let alone going back to number one and listening straight through. So that is fantastic. The willpower that must take. My God, when I pick up a new podcast, unless there is a very specific reason that you need to start at the beginning, like I've been listening to, um, uh, um, what do you call them? They're con- continuing stories, like fictional podcasts, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. S- something like that. So you have to start at the beginning. You can't just jump in in the middle, right? Yeah. Like uh, there's a couple of D&D podcasts that uh, I started listening to and there's no point in jumping in the middle. I just, you know, start right, right back at the beginning and... Yeah. So Listen. things like the bright sessions and stuff where it's, it's a continuing story um, or the black tapes is another one, which I must admit is, I thought has gone off the rails a bit, but I started at the beginning or the true crime stuff like serial and S town. You, you kind of have to listen to those from the beginning. But if I pick up a new podcast, that's like movie reviews or something, maybe I'll go back to select episodes to listen to a particular review, but I'm not going to go back and listen to every one of them. Usually I'm going to start from wherever I pick it up. Yeah, because that's what you can do. Uh, But anyways, Reese did that. A lot of people do that. I think it's amazing and just absolutely blows my mind. So thank you to all of those people and everyone, of course, for tuning in. Um, But what did Reese also say? Negan is scary. Yeah, that's good. We've we've covered that. And um, uh, bye or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the sign off was awesome. That was very funny. Uh, Go for the next one. Uh, you're up. I'm up? I was, yeah. Oh, man. All right. There we go. We just lost everyone because uh, I can't remember what's going on. <laughs> Get it together, man. That's okay. We, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to uh, pay attention for more than five, six seconds at a time. John in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Have you ever been to Thunder Bay? Uh, oh, yeah. Many times. Oh, yeah? I've never been. Oh, yeah. There. What's it like? You've never been to T-Bay? No. Good times. What's it like? Cold in the winter? Uh, well, I, I don't know if I've ever been there in the winter. Oh. I bet it's cold in the winter. I bet it's cold right now. It's out there. It's up there. Compared to here. (laughs) But, you know, when you're there, it's not really out there. It's just more like here. Right. I understand. Anyways, John in beautiful Thunder Bay, Ontario writes, I think I figured out the whole who's the spy thing. It's Simon, kind of. Simon is so awesome. The only explanation is that he's the lich. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Speaking of callbacks. 
Uh, John continues, nobody's going to think twice about discussing plans around zombies. And then the zombies report back to their master, Simon, and he tells Negan what's going on. Holy fucking shit, I didn't even see that. Wow. That's awesome. So to anyone who has recently gone back and listened to all our episodes, you may understand what John is talking about with the Lich. Uh, For those of you that are new, well, you're going to have to go back and listen to all the episodes, I guess. Yeah, and then read up on uh, a Lich, grabs a uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, and uh, on the cover is a Lich Lord. That's right, you were showing me that today. Yeah, I bought a print of that. Jason, I'm so excited. Jason needs to find a group of people to play D&D with, so if, oh if you God, live yeah. in uh, the GTA somewhere, greater Toronto area. I'd play online, like, you know, get together on a Skype call or some, there's, uh, there's software packages out there where you can get together online conference calling and then have a shared uh tabletop for uh, for playing okay i, I do that i bet you're gonna get offers now so uh keep, I'm, I'm excited and nervous keep that in mind <laughs> i miss D. yeah i know and it really seems like you're back into it i almost feel like it's starting to replace your uh lego obsession nah, don't be stupid <laughs> oh sorry okay <laughs> <laughs> Some things just never, never go away. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, So I guess the last two are kind of related. Now we have a call from Paul, y'all. Hey, Chris and Jason. Paul calling from Orlando, Florida. Uh, Got a couple little bits of feedback. Number one, specifically relating to Big Scary You. I find it interesting that Negan, when he's with Father Gabriel, is just kind of himself. He's given a little bit of backstory without giving the full life history, which I kind of appreciate. Um, kind of knowing a little bit more about Negan without getting everything all at once. Um, and the fact that around Gabriel, he's kind of himself. And then when he goes back up to the saviors, that's when he kind of puts on the mask and pulls in Ezekiel and becomes, you know, Negan. So I find that kind of interesting and I kind of like it. It makes me kind of appreciate the character of Negan a little bit more than I did before. Um, and then hopefully this part makes sense. Um, I've been listening to you guys for a couple months, kind of getting caught up and, you know, listen to most of the, or as many of the podcasts as I possibly can. And I find it interesting that, you know, you guys will kind of pick nits and kind of talk about the fact that, you know, specifically like the gun in the, the late, the last episode, um, being able to shoot through the, the Jeep's engine block. And really all it does is just kind of steam and it would have gone right through him and right through Rick. Um, and I get where you're coming from on a lot of that. But at the same time, I kind of look at it and go, man, my suspension of disbelief is immense compared to other people. Uh, you know, I'm kind of willing to accept that as long as we still have a show. You know, if all the things have happened and things that have gone on and things they've escaped and, you know, things they've dodged, if they hadn't done all that, we'd have no show. <laughs> um, there's a lot of times when Rick, Daryl, Carol, Maggie, Ezekiel, they all would have been dead. If that were the case, we just have some random savior worker, number 49, kind of standing in a field waving at us going, hi, I'm the show. Um, so, you know, I guess I get where you're coming from, but at the same time, I kind of go, man, is my suspension of disbelief that bad? Um, anyway, that's all I got. Thank you for your time. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Thanks, Paul. So just real quick on the, the Negan stuff at the beginning, uh, I think that is something that I think Paul makes a really good point there and maybe something I didn't really or we didn't really 
address is that Negan is very different when he's just in the trailer with Gabe than he is when he comes back. And as Paul said, he turns back into Negan, you know, good impressions. Uh, Well, not really, but Paul's was, Paul's was was good. Yours was okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, And, and you see more of Negan and that's when he's with father Gabe and generally when he's one-on-one with other people. So uh, that's what I appreciate about those scenes. One of the things anyways, um, and as for the second half of the email about the gun stuff and suspension of disbelief, I'm going to read the last email we have here from Chris in the UK because it's kind of about the same thing and then we can talk about it a bit. Okay. Chris says, I would like to register as someone who is loving season eight so far. I'm really enjoying it, which is of course entirely subjective, but I would argue is the only actual measure that means a damn for a TV show. Are you enjoying it? Yes. Then it's a good show. No, then it's not. Is it possible that I have the benefit of not remotely caring about the magic gun stuff? For a start, we have to remember that this is a TV show, albeit a very popular one, and resources are limited. The most rare and valued resource of all is time. I'm sorry that this is taking people out of the show, but for me, they are concentrating on the right things, and I couldn't care less about the absence of shell casings and endless ammunition. I think the offense here is not that they don't care. It's not that standards have dropped. It's an excess of ambition. They are trying to do a little more than they actually have the time to do perfectly. If a show is going to fuck up, I for one would much rather it be a surfeit of ambition rather than a lack of the same. For me, the biggest problem this show faces is its own success. They have to strive strive to do bigger and better each year, and generally speaking, people don't start watching a show from season eight. All they can do is lose viewers at this point. I think the best thing they can do right now is trust their instincts and make the show they want to make, which is what I hope they are doing. So I think Chris very eloquently points out the fact that maybe the gun realism is not the most important thing that we should be focusing <laughs> on when watching the show. Okay. So th- there's a distinction. I agree that it, uh, it shouldn't be the most important thing that we focus on, but for me, uh, author intrusion is incredibly annoying. Mm-hmm. Something that is so bad. It's generally when I'm reading a book that something, a line is written so awful. You're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that they wrote that. And that it got through an editing process, you know, an editor said, yeah, that's okay. And then it got proofread and everything and it got all the way to print and it's got in front of my face and it's just so bad that it takes me out of the story. Uh, so yes, I tend to nitpick about these things, uh, but sometimes I can't, I, I just can't let it go. And that's, that's me. Sure. Uh, no, it's not the most important thing that should be happening, but you know, I have a certain standard that. I expect them to live up to. Totally. And a lot of people do. But, but so you're saying that the gun stuff and the lack of realism with the guns is enough sort of author intrusion, as you put it, or is bad enough that it, that it, or it bothers you enough that, that you think it's worth kind of marking against the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm not sure about that because I have to admit, I'm a little bit more with Chris in the UK on this, that had no one ever pointed out to me the fact that the guns were totally unrealistic, 
I'm not sure it ever would have occurred to me. And I talk about it here because people point it out and people want to talk about it. And one, when it's brought up as a criticism, I want to talk about it too, because that's one of the things we do. But I did realize at some point over the, you know, over the process that if no one had ever said anything, I would have maybe thought, boy, they sure seem to be wasting a lot of ammunition. But to me, the recoil that you were talking about, never would have thought of it. The, the, the realism of shell casings never would have occurred to me. And yeah. that's partly because I don't know shit all about guns, you know, but it's also because I just wouldn't have thought of it, I think. Yeah. So the it, recoil jumped out at me. The lack of recoil jumped out at yeah. me. The, uh, the lack of, uh, the action cycling and lack of, uh, shell casings being ejected. That did not occur to me. That was a listener that, that, uh, that wrote that part in, but, uh, yeah, I just, like I say, if they were ray guns and they were shooting, like if they were shooting blasters, mm -hmm. for example, I think I'd be more okay with it than I am with what's going on now. Well, see, that doesn't make any Real, honestly, that doesn't make a lot Come of sense. Come on, Han Solo <laughs> shoots his blaster. There's no recoil. Okay, yes, but you can't have um, fictional weapons in a show that's supposed to be at least based in in uh, a familiar reality, right? I know I there are zombies. Tell you, Chris, there are zombies. fictional weapons, and it's obvious. Well, they're not fictional weapons. They're real weapons that aren't behaving like real weapons, but my point is that... A lot of people don't care about that and don't notice. And again, we talk about it because it does come up and that's fine. And I love talking about it, but I am not so sure it would be important to me if it wasn't put in front of my face like that. Right. Well, I'm, I'm oh. quite confident that it wouldn't be, you know, other than possibly the, the excessive use of ammunition. Right. Okay. Well, let, uh, consider this. Okay. The, uh, the, the quad blasters on the top and the bottom of the Millennium Falcon, they mm -hmm. produce recoil. <laughs> well, I guess if you're shooting lasers, you need really big lasers to produce recoil. When they were firing at those TIE fighters going around the Millennium Falcon, the, uh, the, the, the action was cycling on those, those blasters. Yeah, you're right. I know. Let, yeah, I, just ponder that. I can even, I can even picture them doing, you know, doing that. But yeah. anyways, uh, the other thing that Chris says is that, you know, they're trying to do more not really more with less, but the show is just trying to do more. They're trying to tell bigger stories, different stories. And I guess if they've let something go a little bit, it might be some things like this, slight realism with, with the weapons, but it's all in the interest of telling a bigger, better and potentially different type of story than they've, they've done before. You know, we've had five episodes this season, four of which practically have been like an action movie which is a little different for The Walking Dead. And if they're trying to do something bigger and better, and that means they don't have time to make sure the guns are behaving perfectly, then I'm with Chris. I'm, I'm kind of okay with that, you know, because they're, they're, they have ambition. And like he said, if they're going to fail from being too ambitious, well, that's better than failing because the, the guns aren't ejecting shell casings realistically. Yeah. And I don't know, that's just my opinion. And I guess I share it with some of them, but, uh, he's also, I share it with some people. I mean, but Chris is also right. That saying that, uh, a show this popular might be kind of failing on its own success because they feel the need to do these things, which is a whole different argument. Um, but, uh, 
when Chris said that all they can do is lose viewers at this point, that really struck me. Like when you're the highest rated show on TV, you're never going to gain more viewers and no one starts watching the show from season eight, as he said. So we shouldn't be surprised to bring this back to the beginning that the ratings are not going up. They're going down. Well, yeah. Well, okay. So the ratings can't go up necessarily, uh, but they can go down, but they can go back up. Yeah, they, they can go back up. You'd have to bring in people who have left the show and come back or enticed new viewers in. I mean, if people can go back to the beginning of this podcast and start from episode number one, people can sure do that with The Walking Dead, get caught up and then keep watching it yeah, in season eight and nine. Yeah, jump on Netflix, watch a bunch of episodes, get caught up. Yeah, it's it's possible, but it must be a lot harder to bring in new viewers than it was five years ago or six years ago or, you know, in the early days when there was still word of mouth happening and people were like, you heard about this new show called The Walking Dead? It's amazing. There's zombies. There's people fighting. It's it's awesome. And then you get All new right, viewers. I'm going to start talking to people about that. See if I can get this viewership, viewership back up. Get a few. Get, if you've got five million friends that you can get back on board, we'll be back up around 13, 14 million and everyone will be happy. I haven't checked Facebook in a couple of days. Uh, it's been, actually been a couple of weeks since I checked Facebook. So I could have 5 million friends on Facebook. You never last know. I, last I looked, it was more like 200 or something like that. But uh, anything could happen, really. Uh, anything just, maybe could I just have to go through. Uh, maybe I have 5 million friend requests. And I just need to go through and bulk accept. You should do that and get up to 5 million. <laughs> get, convince every one of them to watch The Walking Dead and use our Amazon links. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. that's a great idea. So anyways, uh, thank you, Chris, for that email. Um, it, it was kind of eye-opening to me because it, it made me realize that I feel the same way, but I certainly wouldn't want to take away uh, or invalidate anyone else's opinion for being really bothered by the weapons or, or whatever might be bothering you because, you know, you everyone has their own opinions on things. So um, oh, God, there you go. They? they sure do. <laughs> Uh, okay, thank you so much to everyone for who wrote and called in this week. Uh, I thought it was a, a good group of really long special emails, and uh, I tried to get as much on here as I could, so thanks to everyone for that. It's Friday, of course. Sorry for the one day late on the feedback episode, but I had to drive home from Ottawa yesterday, and I just wasn't feeling it last night. Too tired and hadn't organized the email yet so we had to delay too cranky it. too pissed off too yep. road weary too hotel-y sleepy too many steak dinners too much beer just needed to go home and veg out we uh we went out to this place um yeah you know what i'll, I'll talk about it briefly in after hours so let's end the, end the right. thing first um sure. we will be back on monday when we are covering season eight episode six it has a really good title, so I want you guys to do some title reads if you can. This one is The King, The Widow, and Rick. Nice. So I just feel like this is going to be an episode about The King, The Widow, and Rick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're going to see the aftermath of Ezekiel and what happened to him and all his people. We're going to finally see, I think, maybe what Maggie's been doing at the hilltop and how she's going to deal with all these uh, prisoners of war that Jesus brought back. And then Rick. Rick is going to go visit the scavengers, I feel like, this episode. And we could get three very different storylines intermingled on uh, Sunday night. So I'm looking forward to this one. And if you want to do a title read, 
do it and send it in to us and we'll play them before our recap on Monday, as many as we can. So The King, The Widow, and Rick. And if you want to do The King, The Widow, and Jason, that'd be funny too. Yeah, that'd be all right. <laughs> uh, all right, thanks so much, everyone. If you want to get in touch in the meantime, you can send an uh, email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website, Talking Dead Podcast, and click on the send voicemail link at the top to send us a message. And find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. And remember, we are coming towards the end of November right now. It's, uh, well, today was Black Friday, but I'm sure there are Black Friday deals going on all week and then, you know, or all weekend, I mean, and through Monday and probably next week. So click through our Amazon links when you do all your Black Friday and holiday shopping. Because for the month of November, all the income we make from those links is going to go not into our pockets, but into the pockets of the Canadian Cancer Society as a big uh, donation. So we want to get as much going there as we can. So visit the site, TalkingDeadPodcast.com, click on Amazon, and then click on the country of your choice when you're doing your shopping. And uh, as I said, it'll all go to a really good cause. So... We've got about a week left in the month, and we hope to have a strong finish Cool to the charity push. Uh, but other than that, thanks for tuning in. Uh, until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. So I spent the last three days in Ottawa, Jason. Yes. And uh, that was fun. I haven't been to Ottawa in a long time, many, many years. Really? Yeah. So, uh, Even, I go there every year or so. Yeah, but, it, uh, Jenny's brother lives there. Right. You've got uh, you've got some in-law family there. I just don't. I mean, I lived there for two years in school, but that was uh, 22 years ago or so. And I may have been there since then, but I must admit, I can't even think of a time. I can't really remember a time. So anyways, I was there for work for a few days around the setup for the Grey Cup, which is Canada's, not, I was going to say Canada's Super Bowl, but it's, it's not really. I mean, it's the Canadian Football League championship game, Yep. Uh, which is a big deal for Canadian football fans, but uh, I don't know if I'd call it Canada's Grey Cup. Anyways, Canada's, was. It is Canada's Grey Cup. Uh, sorry, Canada's Super Bowl. No, yes, yeah, nothing's as big as the Super Bowl. No, so. it's not. But like to me, the Stanley it is Cup the finals, football finals, right? Yes. To me, the so Stanley the Cup finals the CFL, yeah. is is the biggest like sporting event in this country, and and that you know is probably accurate for a lot of people. Anyways, all I wanted to say is we went to this. Uh, you mentioned too much beer and drinking and stuff, and all I wanted to mention was we went to this place two nights in a row called pub italia in ottawa's little italy oh yeah but it's not really what you what you'd think it's um it's a really neat kind of church themed string of like three kind of bars back to back to back and they're all connected inside but it's full of um church themed stuff and just uh weird art and all kinds of stuff like that and uh it's I don't know. It was really a unique place and their beer list was like never ending. So it was really fun. So if there's any listeners in Ottawa and you know, you haven't gone to Pub Italia and that sounds like the kind of thing you might like, I recommend it. It's pretty good. And the food was, was yummy as well. So cool. It was really good stuff. 
Um, I tried to get in touch with uh, my member of parliament there, who I know personally because he lives in my neighborhood, and I was hoping he could introduce me to Justin Trudeau, but it didn't happen, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's it's quite that easy to get a personal introduction to the prime minister. No, they, uh, yeah, they don't like that. They like to know who's gone right. and talking to the PM. Yeah, you can't just... I would think. You can't just bring your idiot neighbor and say like, hey, look, this this guy is here. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I brought this unknown man into your presence. Right. Uh, for introduction purposes. Because he asked me to. That's right. <laughs> probably not allowed to do that, so. No, probably not. All right. We'll see everyone next week. Okay. Bye. Something is beeping over here. Hold on. Oh, is or, that what that or, is? Yeah, that what, was in my head. You can just go if you want. I got to go check out what this, what's going on.